Hello. Would you like to listen to a podcast? Boy, would well, I? Then you... <laughs> well, then you're in luck. No, TJ, that wasn't your part. I'm talking to our <laughs> listeners. I thought I was supposed to interject to be the really over-anxious, super into whatever you're saying guy co-pilot on the commercial. No, that's wrong. Um, but now everybody knows this is a podcast. Thank God. The latest Selby is Godcast. What's going on, TJ? Oh, not too much, Zach. Just sitting in an empty garage with the steady rain on top of my head. Very therapeutic, almost. Once I got the kids to bed, and now I'm just sitting here in the dark and hoping that, that you know, not too many thunderstorms or anything else carries me away. So I'm good. Yeah, I hate talking about the weather every time we get together, but man, where is summer? Or spring, or I swear every single time the Indians have an off day, it rains. And it doesn't just, you don't just get like that summer thunderstorm. You get just a steady rain all day. And it's like, come on, I'm trying to grill out. I'm trying to be outside. Yeah, I, I'm, the, the grill I have set up in the garage, and I'll come out here with the door open. But the amount of times that I've been able to wheel it outside a little bit to just be outside as opposed to standing in an open garage. I don't feel like the ratio is all that great. Uh, I would like to improve that before the end of summer. Yeah, that's been rough, but that's enough complaining, enough weather talk. Speaking of rough, boy, the Indians uh, looking at that division race with the twins. Oh boy. No way. Are we still doing the commercial cheesy thing or is that done? I mean, your segues have never been good, so <laughs> I'd expect nothing else. Whatever, man. Hey, before we get started, uh, because there are a few things Indians related I feel like we should talk about and people probably want us to talk about, I, I do want to point out, I know we made reference to this on the first time we came back, uh, however many weeks ago that was, two, three weeks ago, uh, and said the reason why we're doing this is because people hounded us enough and talked us into it enough and finally we just said all right damn it leave us alone we'll record the stupid podcast actually it probably went a little bit better than that but i mean that's the general gist of how things went but i do want to lay this out again that we're doing this podcast we're not backed by anybody we're not going through anybody we're not part of any entity right now it's just the tj and zach show literally uh putting this together so we do want to thank everybody that has uh the the several weeks that we were away on hiatus that that said, please, please come back. The many people that have left us uh, reviews on, on Apple Podcasts and said, please, please come back. That this is, this is the only thing I look forward to every single week. Maybe, maybe stretching the truth a bit, but something to that effect, leaving us those messages. A, we really appreciate it. And B, we've come back to, to answer those calls and to hopefully provide some some fun in a summer that has not been great as far as weather goes, nor has it been great consistently with the way the baseball team has played. And so I do want to stress again, thank you to everybody that has stuck with us and has begged us to continue. And we're going to continue uh, might be a little bit more sporadic than, than people would like, but we are going to try to pound these out every, every single week, at least one. And I know we've, I've talked to you, Zach, about some ideas about maybe doing some bonus podcasts uh, as far as, because people seem to like when we reflect back on random Indians, maybe if we 
journey back into the Wayback Machine a few more times and, and make a, a few bonus episodes throughout the month. We might be able to do that, but uh, we are here doing this because everybody has said how much they love it, and, and we're going to continue doing it as much as we can and, and hopefully you know, uh, monetize it a bit and, and keep bringing it to you every single week. And, and I did. I, I do also want to lay this out there, Zach, and I will let you talk eventually. I opened it up on our anchor page. If anybody wants to support the podcast to make sure that it continues, uh, we gr- greatly, greatly appreciate anybody that is willing to do that. So it is on the anchor page. You can, you can find that there. Yeah. I wanted to say, you know, there was a reader who reached out or a listener and said, the Sylvia's Godcast is, is what basically was getting him through life. And he became very sick. And when we went away for that stretch of, I don't know, a few weeks or a month, his, his health declined. And then we came back and he was cured and, and he's perfectly healthy now. And life is great. Wow. True story. Amazing. Yeah. Holy. I I didn't know we had that sort of power. Yeah. So. Well, hopefully he's going to be contributing a lot of money over at the anchor page. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that's definitely true. I didn't make that up. Uh, I just can't remember any of the details, his name, his illness, where he's from. So. uh, Lack of Selby is Godcastitis, I believe, was the official diagnosis. I, I think I saw that on the on the the doctor form somewhere. Wasn't that an episode of Family Guy? <laughs> Chris had that. I think yes. Although at some point, doesn't Peter claim to be God or better than God? And as, I don't know. It's an entirely different rabbit hole that I intended to go. Gumble down. to gumble. That's that, right. That was that episode, right? Of course it was. So we are gumble to gumble. People beg to keep us on the air. Yeah. I don't know which are you lucky us are you Greg Gumble or Brian Gumble or was there a different you, Gumble you can have first pick on which Gumble <laughs> uh I will be the the one that was riding the tandem bicycle up front okay <laughs> I don't know which one that was good luck segueing out of this speaking of tandem bicycles boy oh boy the Indians have been spinning themselves in all sorts of different directions this year huh crickets i didn't expect anything different just put the little cricket sound effect in there when you go back and edit it. <laughs> i will do that for sure anybody listening for the first time is like these these idiots want anybody to beg them to come back and continue this piece of crap uh, i do have actually some baseball related things that i want to discuss one being a couple of takeaways from this recent homestand which mm. should you should come away from this homestand against the Twins, the Yankees, and the Reds feeling pretty good, shouldn't you? Five and three for an Indians fan. Five and three in any stretch is pretty good. Uh, to do that against two really good teams and one that is sort of mediocre, unless it's uh, somebody filling out their power rankings, putting the Reds a little higher than they should. Ooh, shots fired, but nobody will get that but me. And maybe Ryan Lewis. <laughs> Uh, you should come away feeling really good about that, right? I mean, what were your initial thoughts, given the way they played uh, against the Twins, Yankees, and Reds? I'm going to sound like such a negative Nelly, and I don't know. I, you are definitely Greg Gumble. I just look at this lineup, and I, I, I refuse to take this team seriously until I know they're putting their best foot forward. Like, they have Jake Bowers in the lineup. Some days he's hitting fourth, some days he's hitting eighth. He's he's a he's a joke right now. I mean, he's so easy to pitch to, 
and he needs to go down to AAA for the time being. Like, yeah, that trade looks horrendous right now, okay? Or at least that part of it, that tentacle. But, like, you got to just bite the bullet and send him to Columbus. Call up Bobby Bradley because I don't understand what you think is going to happen with Jake Bowers right now. I don't, I don't see how he's just going to randomly blossom in front of your eyes without something changing or maybe a brief change of scenery. And Leonis Martin in there and in there sometimes against lefties. Like, I can't take that seriously. I can't take Jason Kipnis hitting fourth seriously. I can't take Mike Freeman batting second or sixth seriously. I certainly can't take all the bunting seriously. And so it's like, yeah, it was a productive homestand. Five and three is, is, I think, better than anyone would have thought they would go. They actually had a chance to sweep all three series and then fell flat in the last game. But, like, I just I, – I this team – what's the best-case scenario, okay? Like, Clevenger is coming back, Kluber maybe eventually, and you pitch better – and Bobby Bradley comes up and, like, the offense is just adequate, and what? You maybe come a little closer to the twin? Like, maybe you get a wild card, but, like, with the trade deadline looming, it's it's like, okay, well, are you going to make some trades? Are you going to push all in? Are you going to load up to go after a wild card, which would just be one game against Tampa or New York? And then, like, there's just no – the even the ideal scenarios for how the rest of the season can play out – don't end favorably for 2019 and so uh, it's it's especially with the way the roster is constructed right now so it's just hard for me to get excited about anything that isn't like a torrid winning streak that changes my perception of the team as a whole Um, because I just don't see this team right now the way it is like Zach Plesak's gonna have some growing pains he's not just gonna be a stud every time out and like Shane Bieber it's great what he's become but you know, I don't think you can just automatically assume he's going to remain a top line starter all year. He's barely been in the league for a year. So I just, you know, there's just a lot that I don't like with the way the roster is constructed. And because of that, it's just hard for me to like really buy in. Cause to me, like the wild card race to me doesn't matter because you're, yeah, you're a game or two, two and a half out, but so are like five other teams. And Best case scenario, even if you get that second wild card spot, like it would be so stupid to push all your prospect chips in into the middle of the table just to hopefully win one game in Tampa and then get a playoff shot. Like that's it's it seems really foolish. So I don't know what to make of this team, and I'm sorry that after a good homestand, I'm starting off this podcast by just completely raining on everyone's parade, but like I. I just don't see it. I I don't know what the best case scenario is for this team, especially since Minnesota doesn't stop winning. Yeah, man, you suck. I had written down all kinds of great things on my paper. There are positive things you can take away. I had so much positivity to bring. (laughs) But I just don't. This is me crumpling it up and throwing it in the garbage right here. I mean, look at that lineup and tell me if if things go well, like that that lineup can – can be you can rely on that in august and september and jesus christ in october all right weird side topic before i address the homestand and address your thoughts on it say things go better offensively in the second half the pitching kind of continues doing what it's doing offensively they get better they sneak their way to a wild card you and let's just say for the sake of this argument 
you know, you, you played well down the stretch and how you got there, it's not going to impact your pitching. Everybody's available. Knowing what you know now, which makes this really impossible, who starts the wild card game for the Indians? <laughs> how in the hell am I supposed to answer that? Well, that's why it's fun. And why Where's Kluber? Right is, is Clevenger still healthy? Clev- is, Clevenger has come back. Is Bauer on my team? Clevenger has come back, and let's say he's doing something close to what he did last year. Uh, Kluber has come back, and he's somewhere in the middle of the bad and the good Kluber. Like, some outings he's great, some outings he kind of stinks. And is Trevor Bauer wearing Indians uniform? (laughs) Trevor Bauer is still in uniform for the Indians, yes. I think I would start Bauer. Uh, I would either start. uh, This is a weirder conversation or weirder question than it would have been two months ago. This is such talk show radio. Yes, absolutely. But it's, it's, and it's so, it's so cheap and terrible. Absolutely. That's why I'm bringing it up. (laughs) Uh, You must've filled in on the radio station recently. Um, I would say I can't decide if it's smarter to start Bauer and bring Clevenger in after him or the opposite of that. But that's that's what I would do. Maybe this the another branch off of the side topic is who are they facing? Yeah. What does their maybe lineup even, look like? And maybe like Ali Perez for a batter in between the two. Sure. Just to or, get weird. You know, what if what if you're staring at a lineup with a lot of lefties up there and you just start Ali Perez and then bring somebody out of the bullpen as your long guy? I don't hate that. I mean shit, you'd you're probably facing Tampa, right? Mm, that's probably what they're it's probably what they're gonna do yeah yeah i mean it is a one game winner take all scenario so you're not you're not even approaching it like you would a five or a seven game series so it's everybody available everyone's got to go okay but how many times would you bunt that's my question uh at least five okay maybe maybe seven sounds about right yeah it's not so much the bunting, and I'm, I swear I'm going to answer my own question. It's not so much the bunting that drives me crazy. It's who is bunting and in what situations. Uh-huh. Oscar Mercado is one of, like, three hitters right now that I have any positivity when they come to the plate, thinking they're going to do anything, anything good, really. He is, like, three, maybe four guys on the team, I feel, can contribute in some positive way when it's not Mike Freeman – sneezing a ball over the left field fence. Um, so for him to give away now, ridiculous. For it to happen in the third inning, ridiculous. For it to be in front of Carlos Santana, who they are, you know, more than likely with first base open, going to pitch around. And, and then especially up, with who's on deck. Bring up Tyler Naquin, who is like, I guess, I guess if you're looking at three and a half guys, you feel good about. Maybe he's at the half because he came back and doubled in a game. Um but, of course, he comes up and grounds into a double play inning over. It's not even that you're bunting. I mean, odds say or studies say or even sometimes just using your brains, that says that that's not going to work out well for you. But especially with this offense, the top of the lineup, handing it to the bottom of the lineup uh, with the runners in scoring position, what are you thinking? And how are you helping Mercado's development? See, to me, I thought, because the, a couple of nights before Mercado squared around, this was on, oh, I can't remember. Maybe Sunday. I think the game they lost. And one of his at-bats, he squared around on the first pitch. I think it was ball. Ball one. 
And he looks down to third base. Next that next pitch comes in, he's swinging. And I think he did that on his, on his own, the first bunt attempt. He looked down at third base, and Mike Starbuck said, swing the frickin' bat. And knowing what Tito has said in the past about young players, and we've seen Frankie Lindor do it, my guess, if I had to guess, I think it's him doing it on his own because I have at least one anecdote one piece of anecdotal evidence that I feel like he probably did it on his own and was told, Hey, don't do that. And because it was the first pitch of the at bat again, I think it's probably on him, but that doesn't completely remove Tito from sitting down and talking to a young kid and saying, Hey man, I appreciate you doing this, but swing the freaking bat because you are one of the guys that we trust right now in the batter's box. It's not smart to be giving away outs, especially to be giving away outs in the third inning, eighth or ninth inning. And we're playing for one run to win the game. That's a different situation. Give away outs in the third inning, stupid. Yeah, I mean, the Sylvia's Godcast isn't going to uh, cure my <laughs> health. And if I keep talking about this, my blood's going to boil. So I, it's I, – I know I need to eventually write about it, and I probably should have already. But it's like I, I've – I mean, you remember, like, in the press box, any t- like Lindor, when he went through that stretch where he was just bunting anytime anyone was on base – like, remember, Steve Herrick would always look at me, like, because he knew how much it frustrated me just because it was, seemed like such stupid baseball when you have one of, if not your best hitter, just giving himself up. And even if you think, oh, well, maybe I can beat it out, and Mercado's super fast, so maybe he can, that doesn't mean it's the best play at that time. And it, it's probably not. And it's just, like, this team, it's so hard for them to string together hits as it is. Why are you taking that away? Why, why are you making it yeah. more difficult? And I, I get it. There are a lot of guys in this lineup who I'm like, you know what? If Mike Freeman bunts to move a guy over to third base with one out, I don't have a problem with that. The guy's a career 165 hitter. Um, if, if I don't know, if Leonis Martin wants to bunt against a lefty, fine. Uh, even like Jake Bowers against Araldus Chapman, like I thought that I would not have bunted there. But like I also don't think Jake Bowers was going to hit Araldus Chapman's pitching. And you had two guys on, and, and I think nobody out, and I could live with that. And that was Tito asked Jake Bowers, can you get it down? Bowers said yes. Now the counter to that is Bowers isn't going to say no. And they didn't have anyone to pinch hit with because they had used the whole bench already. I don't know. I just – I still come back to, like, I, the lineup should be talented enough where you don't need to be relying on all this bunting anyway. So I, I know people are like calling for Tito's head just because they keep bunting. And it's like, it's not get carried away. Somehow this team is 34 and 33 and they've got a roster that's worse than what they had in like 2015, at least currently with, with the injuries they have, but oh, it's, it's aggravating and it's, it's gotta be tough to watch this team. I mean, it, they played inspired baseball in the homestand. We can get back to your, your first question. Like it was a, it was a po- overall positive homestand. But, man, the first two months of the season have had so many instances where it's just really, really difficult to watch. And when they are bunting and playing for one run, when, like they, they've bunted at times when they're down three in, like, the sixth inning. I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, do you know what the score is? Or is J.R. Smith, like, an assistant coach in the dugout? Uh, well, no one has gotten a cup of soup thrown at him that I know of that we've seen. I would start, I guess I guess I got to, I got to lean back on the track record. I would start Trevor Bauer. That would answer my, 
but I would have the shortest of leashes and be ready to bring just about anybody into the game to face a batter. I don't care in a wild card situation. Now we're a long way to, away from worrying about that. And <laughs> if they, if they somehow played themselves into a wild card, what are they two games back in the wild card at the time we recording this something it's, it's obviously they're within striking distance of the second wild card. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that they're going to get there. Uh, but a lot is going to have to go right, and they'll have answered some questions along the way that would probably make this, this question easier to answer. Getting back to my original question about your takeaways from the weekend. I can't argue with much of what you said. It's weird that you come away feeling that way after a 5-3 and three home stand against, again, like I said, two pretty good teams and one kind of mediocre team. You got a chance to sweep them all. That would have been a much different scenario. But – I think, we, I think it teaches us a couple of things. One, that this team probably has a, uh, another gear than what we've seen consistently. I don't know that it's a great gear, but I think there's, there's a novel, another level of play there that they can reach. But the second part of that, the second thing that I think it taught us, is that 10-game or double-digit deficits in a division, no matter what time of year it is, are really tough to chip away at because the Indians played really well. They come away five and three and they look up in the standings and haven't they lost ground? <laughs> I mean, you shouldn't come away from this homestand, look up in the standings and go, Oh, wow. Well, we're no closer than what we were before, even though we took two out of three from the team that's directly in front of us. The twins are playing out of their mind. I mean, they're on a pace to be one of their best teams ever. No one could have foreseen that, but that's what they're doing. And no matter us, whether or not we believe it's going to continue, that's what they have done so far. They've already made up the ground that they have. There's no taking those wins away. And so the division deficit being what it is, nothing's going to change that as a, you know, unless they come back to earth and somehow the Indians find some offense under a rock somewhere. Uh, I, I don't anticipate probably both of those things happening at least to the point where they're going to make up a double digit deficit at this point. Um, I think it's silly to ever say anything definitively before you even get to August and September. I think that's ridiculous, but it is a very, very strong reality right now. And I come away from this homestand where you should probably feel really good about the way that they played kind of like you feeling not all that enthused about it other than the fact that you're continuing to hang around and at least play enough winning baseball that the wild card is still in reach. And you can kind of hang on to that a little bit. But it's not enough that you would trade away mega pieces in your farm system for a rental bat or something like that. To me, the wild card, you look at that, and it's like that's that surprise if you turn things over to some younger kids and they somehow lead you to a wild card. That would feel productive. But just riding veterans into that game and losing it, and that's it. That's not productive. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there are positive things to say here. I think, like, the fact that, the, the fact that they're 34 and 33, we could list everything that has gone wrong. I mean, it, we just – we noted how ugly the lineup is on most nights. And the fact that they haven't had Kluber, and even before they had Kluber, he was terrible, and then that Bauer has not repeated what he did last season, and that Carrasco is 
was not himself and is out for the foreseeable future. And that Clevenger only got to make two starts before he went down for a couple months. And that Jeffrey Rodriguez looks good for a minute and then got hurt. And that, I mean, it, it's crazy um, that there are where they are. And a couple things. Number one, huge credit. This does not get talked about enough. Huge credit to the bullpen. Um, you know, we've, Brad Hand has certainly received a lot of attention lately and a lot of it because he could be a, a trade candidate and his name will pop up in rumors, certainly already, but, but like the other guys, I have a story. We're recording this on Thursday. I have a story coming Friday morning, just about how the bullpen has been like incredible. It's been the unsung part of the team. And it's like, I called it Brad hand in the funky bunch because hand is dominant. And then everybody else is like throws 86 and has a weird delivery and like, you wouldn't think that they'd be effective, especially in today's day and age where everybody throws 98 miles an hour. And yet I, I didn't even know this before I started writing it. Cause I, I put it off. And I, every time I put it off, I'm like nervous that they're going to have just a huge blow up and everything's going to come crashing down to earth because this is Tyler Clippard we're talking about and Tyler Olson and Nick Whitgren and like guys who don't have great track records or at least or, or are old enough or whose stuff isn't that great. And yet here they are in mid-June. And I was shocked when I went to Fangraphs a few days ago and was like, all right, they probably rank like in the top 10 in ERA as a group, right? Number one, the Indians have the best bullpen in baseball through the first two and a half months. And we spent all offseason, we said that we thought they could piece together a, a decent bullpen. I know a lot of people said it was just as big of a an urgent need as, as the outfield. It was hard to argue against that because I think we were saying, well, just wait till Cody Anderson and Danny Salazar and John Edwards show up. None of that has transpired. But um, the, the contributions they've gotten from guys like like Whitgren and, and Clippard and even Oliver Perez again, it, it's, it's incredible. And that's kind of – I think that's held this team together more than people realize. So that being said, I think it's important to note that positive and also important to like everything they do for the next month is going to be evaluated with the lens of what it could mean at the trade deadline, because they have to figure out what the best course of action is, not just for 19, 2019, but for next year and the year after we've talked all about why and Francisco Lindor and Bauer and hand and, you know, what we would do and, and whatnot. But like, it, it's, I think you can still trade away Trevor Bauer and be in that mix for the wildcard race. Like, I don't think that's unreasonable. And so, yeah, like we've said, I think the key is just don't get this false sense of belief. Like, Oh, well we need to trade Tristan McKenzie for a bat so that we can secure that wild card and, and maybe to make a run at the twins. Like, I don't think that's the way to go. I think the only way you buy at the deadline is if Minnesota comes crashing down to earth, like now, and you have a real shot at winning that division. And even then, I don't even know if that's the most prudent course of action. So I, I I'm, I'm taking notes over the next six weeks on what's positive and I'm doing it to say what could work beyond this year. And so that's why it's frustrating when Mercado bunts and it's frustrating when, you know, Mike Freeman and Jason Kipnis are your second base tandem. And one of them sitting fourth and Bobby Bradley sitting in Columbus. And it's, you know, stuff like that. It's frustrating when the roster is not efficient and it's, 
you know, it's it, it was difficult to see James Karinchek go down when he did because I thought he was pretty close to getting called up. And, you know, I think if you could get a glimpse of him and see him pitch for a few weeks, maybe ease him into a middle relief role and then maybe later innings, then maybe you have a better handle on whether you can trade Brad Hand. So just a lot of a lot of answers over the next six weeks that I think are going to determine a lot of things for 2020. And because of that, it's hard for me to just like sit here and be like, Hey, you know, this team, they still could be really good in the second half. And it's like, it's probably won't matter to be honest. It might not. And I, and we, we talked at length the last podcast, my point being, I, I would prefer to see youngsters at this point over guys like Leonis Martin and, and even, like you said, Jake Bowers should probably be sent to Columbus for at least a little bit. Yeah, I, I was the biggest person that was uh, anticipating some good things from him, and I, I don't think anybody should be at a point where you're ready to write him off and say that his career is what it is because you've seen enough guys come up at the age of 22, 23 years old and struggle a little bit, get sent back down, come back up, and then be completely different. Um, sometimes even that small change of scenery or some good positive results down in Columbus, even in a hitter's environment, just the fact that you're seeing the ball fall in for base hits or you're, you're collecting doubles or you're hitting the ball over the fence, just sometimes even feeling better about yourself <laughs> at least helps a little bit. It gives you a little confidence and part of the, the intangible element that we all would love to be able to quantify. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't disagree with you on, on him. I just from a sheer curiosity standpoint, I would love to see Bobby Bradley up here. I, I don't think he's going to. I don't think he's going to immediately settle into the cleanup spot and just start mashing bombs either. I, I think it's going to be a struggle for him when he first comes up. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all if you know a couple of weeks in or a month in, people are like, "Oh, great, this guy is just not going to be able to help us at all." Because mm-hmm. even we even saw that with Francisco Lindor when he came up in 2015. Remember his first two, three weeks flat out stunk, at least numbers wise. They weren't that great. And people are starting to go, okay, well, the, the defense is that that part was right, but uh, he's not really helping us a lot offensively. And then it all kind of came together. Um, young players are tough because you would like them all to develop at this, this nice steady rate. Like we see in hardball dynasty, it doesn't always work like that. Unfortunately, um, it's re- very rarely a linear path for these guys to just come up and immediately have success. I'm not ready to give up on on Jake Bauer's profile because I think there's a lot to like there. But I, I'm with you. If if sending him down means a, a look at Bobby Bradley, I'd be interested. I don't think it's I don't necessarily think it's going to change anything. But just from a curious standpoint, from a standpoint of wanting to see something different, because I I, I feel like I know what to expect when I see uh, Leonis Martin's name plugged into the lineup, or or even Bauer's right now in his struggles. Uh, I don't. I would just rather be making strides towards finding answers to other questions. But we spent a lot of time talking about that on the last podcast. We talked a little bit about Brad Hand too, and what what could make sense there in a trade. What on that topic is is there a? I'm not even looking for a specific name, but is there a scenario that you think? Trading Brad Hand makes sense no matter what they're doing in the standings. Yes. I've thought about this a lot. I've gone back and forth. Uh, Fans seem to want to trade him because he's so dominant. And we've said it. Everyone said it. Like, this team expects to be there next year. 
And this is not a teardown. This is not trade all the veterans or guys in arbitration and come back in 2023. This is this is retooling and trying. This is what they tried to do in the offseason. Um, but I think it's what makes it so tough is that he has pitched so well. This is peak Brad Hand right now. And it's very rare to be able to. <laughs> what better time to I, sell? Yes. If you can <laughs> trade peak, if you can get peak Brad Hand value, I think you have to do it now. It depends what that looks like. Um, if it's is there is there a Andrew Miller type deal to be made for Brad Hand? Right. So the thing that's crazy about that trade is. Like it looks, it still looks like it, it was a fine trade for the Indians. I mean, Andrew Miller gave them, he's a huge part of why they almost won the world series in 2016. And um, I imagine if they would have escaped the Yankees, he would have been a big part of a run in 2017. That, that trade would have looked a lot worse if the two pieces, no one even knows exists. Ben Heller and JP Fireisen would have, materialized those two guys put up ridiculous numbers in the minors they threw hard heller threw like upper 90s a lot of talent and then i know heller i think he had tommy john and fire eyes and i don't know what happened to him but like they never panned out but they could have been really good relievers and then you would have been like my goodness the indians gave up a lot um but that's how trades work and i yeah i think if you get something like an outfielder who can be a really good middle of the order type bat and is you have full control over for five, six years and you get a couple other helpful pieces too. Like, I mean, just, just Sheffield looks like he'll probably be a middle of the rotation guy, right? Clint Frazier. He's tough to figure out. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you have, why to... is he bad off or defensively? Yeah. And how with is the media, that, <laughs> how is that possible for a guy that was playing center? Like, I know uh, there were questions about him sticking in center field long-term. Everyone more often than not said he was going to move to a corner, but I'm looking at the numbers the other day. He's leading baseball in the least outs above average dude. I I know he he has looked bad and been bad, but I'm not sitting there watching him every single day. And then the Yankees come through. So I start paying attention. I'm watching another game and he's just poorly misplaying a, a line drive to right field. Look at the numbers, and he's like down at minus eleven outs above average. My God, that's bad. I know Jake Bowers is his numbers have been pretty awful in, in the outfield too. But this is a dude that's transitioning to outfield. Cliff Fraser was a center fielder, now playing right field. How is he so bad out there? Yeah, so I think I would want someone who's a little better than Frazier, who looks like a low on base DH right now. But but that's that's the sort of with the headline position player maybe a pitcher or another position player um, in addition. Uh, it, it's tough because, like, yes, you if you are planning to contend next year, of course you want Brad Hand on your team. But he's also not going to have – he's not going to finish the year with an ERA under one. And so there are going to be some hiccups at some point. He's going to fall back to earth a little bit. But I, I also think the Indians, like, they have a lot of really talented – relief pitching in the minors. We're going to see Karen check at some point. Dude throws 98, doesn't give up hits, strikes everybody out. That's usually what you're looking for in a reliever. Um, Nick Sandlin, who they drafted last year, 
He's at AAA now. I would assume he'll get a call up at some point in the second half. There's a kid, Kyle Nelson, who recently got promoted to Akron. I looked up his numbers today. 26 innings. I believe he's given up nine hits and four walks, 44 strikeouts. The opponent OPS is 320. Like, that's a kid who you should be able to see next year. Um, and they've got more. I mean, it, so I, I think – and relief pitching is the easiest stuff to find. I know it's, I, I say that now, and then it's – sometimes your bullpen can be a nightmare. And I'm not I'm – not, like, Brad Hand is very valuable. He is, he is so important to this team right now, and he's so, so, so good. He's a top-five reliever in the game, right? So – well, that's, but, that's the beauty of it, though. You can, but yes, you, you can, can hold him to that sort of value. And exactly. if you don't get that, then nobody is pressuring you to trade him today. Exactly. Um, and it, other- it, makes it, it makes it difficult because you, it, it would, in one sense, be taking away from a team that we still feel like can compete in 2020 and 2021. Um, and if Brad Hand is a part of it in the near future, you're going to be better than, than, than not having him, more than likely. But Considering the way that he's pitched, considering how the season has progressed so far, the fact that he has been as good as he's ever been uh, and probably will never be better than this. And uh, also, he is the case in point. He is up there on the poster among the poster children of relievers can be found anywhere. This Mm -hmm. is a dude that was just cast off, waved. No one wanted him. Just finally emerged and and put it all together. That's how simple it can be for a reliever. Or a guy that can stumble on a pitch or, or throw one pitch more or be moved from the rotation into a bullpen and focus just on his best pitches. Or really, a lot of things can click to make a guy uh, an elite reliever that you never, you never saw it coming. You can't bank on it. You can't just say that that's going to happen. But it does happen. Um, so if you can turn you know, one of those sorts of guys into something – on par with or even better. And I think you would have to improve upon what you gave up for him. Like the Francisco Mejia type, I would want, if I'm in a position to deal him, I would want more mm-hmm. than that. I would want more than, than what I gave up for him to entice me to want to give up on him, considering the way that he's pitched right now. Well, let me ask you this, because you said yourself, how many people in this lineup do you, do you trust right now? Three? And yeah, one of them is a 24-year-old rookie with 25 games under his belt. Well, how, where, how are you going to turn that three into, like, seven or eight? Because, uh, like, maybe Bobby Bradley and maybe Daniel Johnson at some point. Maybe Jose Ramirez figures it out, but we've been asking that question for a couple months. Um, and, and we should probably mention Roberto Perez having a very nice season. Uh, but he's not like you don't want him. To yeah, have but I, to, I, would, I don't want to get injured patting myself on the back for that one. <laughs> and you don't want him to have to hit fourth. Like, so, <laughs> so there are no like there are potential answers on the pitching side. We've already seen them with Jeffrey Rodriguez and Zach Plesac at Shane Bieber and um, Karen Check and this these other kids I mentioned. And like there are potential answers there. There are plenty more too. Like Eli Morgan is a really good starting pitcher who's just breezing through the system. Aaron Savali, I think he's at triple a now. Um, he looks like he could be a potential back end of the rotation guy. Like there are pitching answers. They've done a really good job de- drafting and developing pitchers. There are no answers on the position player side. 
So you're going to have to swing some trades because if I know this ownership group, I don't think they're going to be playing for the top position players in free agency this winter. Call me a skeptic. (laughs) But I think you're going to have to swing some trades. And that's also why I think that they might be buyers and sellers. I could see them trading Bauer in hand, but also if there's a Tommy Pham, Marcelo Zuna type out there, as we've mentioned multiple times, like wouldn't be surprised if they swung a trade for someone like that. But you're going to have to get position players somewhere. And so, yeah, you probably have to trade Bauer. And you certainly have to listen on offers for Brad Hand. Remember when, remember when there was a guy, a Tommy Pham type available? What was his name? Oh, I don't know, Pham. Fucking Tommy Pham. That's right. I, for, I That's his full name? <laughs> it's actually Tommy fucking Pham. I think it's Thomas. <laughs> um, I agree with pretty much all of your... All of your opinions. This is going to be real boring. I, I wish I had something to, to say that I disagree with you on. This is, this is what happens when you just get two smart people discussing the same things. Maybe this is the problem with the Indians front office. There's no dissenting voices. Who is bringing the, the other side of this debate? Um, maybe they should just bring us both in. And we could be those dissenting voices. I would be more than happy. Well, we've said it. If we could run this organization, they'd probably be uh, like 50 and 111. But uh, Yeah, that more than likely. Um, the other part is, as you're just running through the list and salivating it at all of the, all of the young relief pitching types, the other side of that is, I would like to get a look at some of those guys sooner than later because I also would like to know if, if, if keeping Brad Hand also gives me the best bull, freaking bullpen in baseball and, and not just statistically through a couple of months. I mean, just legitimately with your eyes looking at it, these dudes are freaking phenomenal. Wouldn't it be great to get a couple of answers to add that to, to the equation? To either one, no. If I'm going to trade Brad Hand, then this guy can step in and, and hopefully fill those shoes. Or if I keep Brad Hand and I have these other guys, now I have the seventh, eighth, and ninth set up the way I want them for the next three years or two years. You know, wouldn't wouldn't it be nice to answer some of those questions too? Not just from a lineup standpoint. Yeah, I mean, you know what's crazy? We we didn't even mention Tristan McKenzie, who's their top prospect. Who, I mean, I don't know what he's going to end up doing this season because he's getting such a late start. But I thought from the get-go they were being patient with him because they thought they might need him in the bullpen or something in the second half, and they didn't want him to run into his innings limit too early. And I don't know if that's the case. I think it's more just he was hurt. They have durability concerns. The dude's like six foot four, weighs 95 pounds. Gumby has a better body than him. Boom, roasted. But I think – I mean, look at, listen to all the pitchers we just named, all the young pitchers. Like, first of all, this is why this team can still contend, why they believe their window doesn't end after 2019, and they always felt that way. But, like, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I, I don't need to see it, – It's I'm kind of like – like, Neil Ramirez, that was long overdue to DFA him. And, like, I'm ready anytime they want to pull the plug on, I don't know, Tyler Olsen or – I, I, like I'm kind of waiting for Tyler Clippard or AJ Cole to fail just so it can be like, okay, goodbye. Let's see James Karen check. Let's see Nick Sandlin. Let's kind of get a move on on this. And, and you're right. Get some answers, but they just, they have so much 
so much pitching talent, and I just keep coming back to, my God, they should have traded Kluber in the offseason. Like, you would have solved half your issues right there because <laughs> maybe Alex Verdugo would be hitting second every day instead of Oscar Mercado being forced to hit there, and, and Verdugo would be your everyday left fielder, and you'd be in your outfield would be in okay shape. And then you wouldn't need to be talking about Brad Hand. Maybe you'd trade Bauer and you get that other missing position player piece and, and your lineup then looks great. And you're pitching like, all right, maybe it's not all world anymore, especially with Carrasco out, but like Clevenger, Bieber, Plesak, Tristan McKenzie, like that's a young promising group. Eli Morgan, like th- that dude's going to be good in a couple of years. So I, I just like it, they, they knew there was a possibility that this was going to wind up having to be a transition year. Certainly they never could have expected the twins would be what 45 and 22 at this point. But it just seems like when you are going through, I hate saying window because that's not how teams think, but when you're going through that period of like turning over the roster, sometimes you have to just reset a little bit and you have to maybe say, you know what, this might be the season where, we not that winning isn't the priority, but like you have to get those kids through their growing pains and you have to maybe make some trades that are not popular at the time. And it, it we kind of thought it over the off season. I know we were both advocating a Kluber trade as long as it was the right Kluber trade. And it just seems like they would, it, it seems like now they're in a position where they absolutely, if they trade Bauer and or hand, they better get it perfectly right and get a ton in return. Because they like there's there's a lot less time before 2020 gets here, whereas if they would have traded Kluber, you at least would have been a little bit ahead, and would have had less homework to do now. So I don't know. I, I still think there's a lot of promising stuff. It's just this season is tough, and, and I think over the next six weeks, like everything has to just be judged by what it means in terms of what trades they should make to get better in 2020 because if things stay the same in the division, it's, it's not worth it to mortgage the future that you believe in. Okay. Devil's advocate time. It's easy for you and I, in fairness to say, um, should have traded Kluber, you traded, should have traded Bauer, but we're not sitting here today knowing exactly. Right. I mean, we kind of have a, a, a little bit of an idea of maybe some of the, some of the talent level that was on the table, but based on what we think we know, I mean, I don't think there was anything unless they, they did pass on a Verdugo or uh, we, we know they certainly would have loved to have Bellinger. That wasn't going to happen. The the overall point is we could sit here and say they should have done that in with the benefit of hindsight. And even at the time we said they should have done it, but we both said at the time it had to be the right deal. And that still doesn't change today. It, you could say, well, they should have just traded Kluber for whatever they could have gotten. Well, I mean, that's not fair, knowing no, what we no, know no, no, now. No. That, that's not fair to say, oh, well, they should have just made the trade with the Padres to get a couple of outfielders because it would, that, would, that would be better than what we've, the situation we're in today. That, that's absolutely not fair. And I think we both try our best to uh, remove emotion and think only in terms of what was fair at the time. Well, and, and no, and and that was that was the situation, and we both at the time agreed that, based on not getting what they wanted, they should have held on to both. Yeah, the, the, no one ever considers the timing of things in the off season. Everyone's like, "Oh, the front office screwed it up by not, not resigning Brantley," and it's like, it, well, certainly, 
they could use Michael Brantley and, and he's well worth the money and all that. But people don't realize like they had to make that decision. It was the first thing they had to do. And when ownership said, Hey, you got to shave 20 million off the payroll. Well, you can't really hand him 16 million a year at that point and just be like, ah, we'll, we'll get rid of $36 million easily. Like, like, where is that going to come from? So they couldn't, they, they, like, the front office just couldn't. I think they would have loved to sign Michael Brantley. They couldn't. And, they and all, I mean, they also didn't have the benefit of knowing that Brantley was going to get the offer he was going to get from Houston. Yeah. Or anybody true. else. Right, right. Uh, I, I said at the time that to, to not extend, and people said, uh, I, I don't know, maybe even you disagree with me at the time, but I felt like to not extend it, the only reason why you don't is because you think there's a, at least a, a semi-decent chance that he's going to pick it up. Right. And well, we they know they, know. They, they couldn't afford it. Um, I mean, you have some indication from the player, at least a little bit, and the agent a little bit, of what they might be seeking. So that's another one that's easy to say, well, look at what he got from Houston. You should have extended the qualifying offer. Right. I would have extended the qualifying offer anyways, but obviously they felt like there was at least some chance that he was going to return. And it's unfortunate that they had to think like, oh, crap, we can't afford this. Uh, and that would just completely cripple us for the rest of this offseason. Then we were, we're forced to trade Bauer or Kluber for whatever we can get. I mean, that would certainly be an even less desirable situation to be in. But, no, again, I, you're, right, you're, you're, right about the, you're right about the timing element of that. Yeah, it, uh, well, your Brantley synopsis is on the money. That, that's exactly what their process was. But, but the, it, it leads to, first of all, the Salazar decision had to come next. That, we don't have time to debate that. Um, but the, the Kluber stuff... All, all we have is time. The dude's in Arizona. The height of the Kluber talks happened at the winter meetings, like many talks do over the offseason. And at that point, it was still like... They were I, intensifying, that's for sure. Yeah, they were having talks about the Encarnacion deal. So there were different ways they could move money. And I, I, I do think if the Dodgers would have just blown them away at the winter meetings, I think there would have been a deal. Um, or, or any other team. Because at that point, they hadn't cleared the Encarnacion and... Or, and the Alonzo money. Um, and they might not have needed to do that. And maybe Yanni Diaz would still be an Indian and the lineup would look great. Anyway, so the point is, like, it, it's all about timing. And the timing has to work perfectly. And, and, and that just brings me back to it's really good for the Indians. I think Bauer's trade value will hold no matter what, as long as he just doesn't pitch, like, complete crap over the next month. Um, I think he's smart enough. Teams are smart enough. Let me tell you, the Padres have scouted like every single Indians game this season. It's ridiculous. I follow a Padres scout out of the press box every single night. And, <laughs> and like, I don't think they care if he's, if he's security, a, yeah. security, if he's, he's still by me, if he's got an ERA of two sixty <laughs> or four sixty, I think they want him regardless. I don't know what you're going to get for him. Um, but like Bauer, Teams are salivating at the fact that you could get Bauer for two postseason runs where this dude can throw like every single game or he could throw 120 pitches and pitch on three days rest. Teams really covet that. I think he's going to have plenty of trade value, but it's just really works in the Indians favor with timing wise that Brad hand is pitching really well. And you look around the league and it's like, you know, he's probably going to be the best trade piece available. Like him and like him and Bauer might be the two best players traded, right? Who, who, is there anybody obvious out there who would be better than them? And that's that's a pretty good position to be in in a time when maybe it's advantageous to cash in. 
Because otherwise, yeah. you you hold on to those guys, you get less for them in the off season, or you hold on to them for next season, and then it's like then it's gonna be really tough on yourself in twenty twenty one or or even next year. I I feel like I've probably said it thirty times already, but I mean I look at Tampa Bay what they did last year. Uh, I look at maybe this isn't a perfect comparison. Uh, because the Yankees can spend like nobody's business, but the Yankees and what they did in 2016, when they just reinvigorated themselves by making some painful decisions, they actually turned things over to the kids and almost freaking made the playoffs. Um, that, that was that Gary Sanchez at like 42 home runs in 12 days or something like yeah. that. Uh, almost won the rookie of the year. Um, but I look at what they did in 2016, you know, make a couple of painful decisions they get the benefit of being able to just turn around and re-sign the guy next offseason. That's not going to work like that for, for the Indians with a, a role to Chapman. But they were able to give them – I guess the Indians don't even need that sort of life brought back into their minor leagues because their minor leagues are actually pretty good. And uh, very soon as some other guys graduate, the Indians minor leagues are probably going to meet among the best. But you can still find guys that are going to – jumpstart you that either give you some trade bait for the future or guys that come in that are cheap right now that you're going to control for the first three years making basically the minimum and then that gives you an ability to improve your roster elsewhere the Indians in 2016 they thought they were an Andrew Miller away from winning a title and they were almost spot on or does is there a team out there that feels like they're a Brad hand away from winning a championship and is willing to pay that I'm not coming off of that but if there is a team that is willing to meet that demand, then I'm not going to hesitate to make, to pull the trigger on that. Amen. I have a random Indian of the day. I'm nervous. You shouldn't be. If, if you are in tune with me and think about who are some of my all-time favorite random Indians of yesteryear, you should be able to get this. So I will, before you start, I wanted to mention last podcast, was it Paul Shuey who was the random Indian? Yes. Like maybe two podcasts ago. I don't know. Recently. And you went, mentioned how you looked, looked it up, and he was the second overall pick in 90, 91, 92. I already forget, yeah. Same year as Jeter. I had a nice sit-down interview for something I'm working on uh, with Paul Shuey last week. And let me tell you, I've never interviewed him. I don't recall. He, what a great storyteller. What an interesting guy. Um, very enjoyable talking to Paul Shuey. I forgot to mention he was our random Indian, though. I should have told him. <laughs> I'm sure he would have loved it. I feel like people say this about uh, offensive linemen in football, that they are often uh, the, the guys that you want to talk to. Uh, for whatever reason, either they're funny or they just have a unique perspective on the game and maybe just think about things differently than, than other positions. I would feel like catcher is probably – that way with baseball because they're so in tune with what everyone's doing on the field. Mm -hmm. The other, the other people to talk to are relievers. They're watching everything and they see everything and they're just sitting throughout half of every game in the bullpen, just watching. So they always have such a great perspective or some something funny to say. So I always feel like uh, talking to reliever, Either present or past is always beneficial. Yeah, and I learned the Indians relievers, while they're sitting out there in the bullpen, they play Would You Rather. So, <laughs> Boy, wait for next week's Godcast where that's what we're going to do. All right, I have the random inning of the day, 
and you will hear it coming up after this. All right, man, are you scared? This, you, you got this. This always makes me nervous. I don't like – I like being the giver, not the receiver. Hello. All right, this random Indian of the day brought to you by the Selby is Godcast. We sponsor our own game? What? Of course we do. Uh, let's see. What clue would be best to give for a, se- a former second-round pick? It was a second-round pick of the Giants in 1998. This man well, was... Do I get a guess? Hold on. Okay. Second-round pick of the Giants in 98. Yeah. Out of high school or college? Uh, I didn't write that down. Oh. Took notes? I'm outside. I'm, I'm outside in the garage. I didn't have the computer with me. Uh, I will guess. Let's see. Uh, second round pick. That's pretty good. Um, I don't know. That's good because dead silence is great for a podcast. <laughs> Three teams. Thankfully, we could hear the rain. That's like what you listen to before you fall asleep. You can't rain all the time. Three teams in his career, Texas, Cleveland, and Milwaukee. Cleveland was the middle stop. Uh, career OPS, or career slash line of 220, 277, 352. That's the career. Uh, posted in his career a negative .4 war and was negative .1 with Cleveland. Oh, played with the Indians are coming to mind. Played with the Indians. This is also a pretty important clue. Played with the Indians in 2002 and 2003. At what time? At which time he was 25 and 26 years old? Earl Snyder. <laughs> it is not Earl Snyder. Zach Sorensen. It is not Zach Sorensen. That's a good guess, but that is not correct. God, those teams were such dog shit. <laughs> Uh, with the Indians, he put up a 655 OPS, hit seven bombs over his two years with the Indians, but only part-time. Only, in fact, the second year, very, very sparingly. It was only up for a brief time. Um, I don't know. Outfielder. Switch hitter. Either one of those things help? No, but I just remembered that. Remember who they traded Jody Garrett for? Jason du- Dubois? 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 Yeah, Dubois, yes. He was terrible. Jeez. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I'm drawing a blank. Right, and the, the worst part about this is everybody in their car listening screaming at you and calling you names because I'm so stupid and can't think of this. Uh, I don't know if that's correct. I mean, this is, this is one that it's one of the first ones I always think of. Um, one of it, one of the reasons for that is the next and last clue that I will give you is that I was at this game, uh, June 13th, 2002, which is the anniversary is, is today as we record this. Uh, hit a walk-off in the 10th inning to lift the Indians to a 2-1 win over the Orioles. And the reason why I picked him as the random Indian of the day, 
because that happened on this date, but also because the Indians put a picture of him on their Instagram story earlier today. Now, you probably can't go look it up because Instagram has been down for half the day, but that was my last and final clue. So it was one month and one day before Bill Selby did the thing. Um, Man, this is killing me. An outfielder? Like the 2002 out man, that 2002 team was that. That is like the 2002 team is like if the Indians sold everybody right now and just played all the young kids, but also didn't really have young kids. Like, <laughs> like yes. the, the worst case scenario for the second half of the 2019 Indians is 20 is the 2002 Indians. Well, that's what when you're on the tail end of uh, six years of almost six years of winning the division every single year. At the end of that, your minor leagues are probably going to look like dog shit. And unfortunately they didn't have much to turn to. So that's why they're picking up guys that just bounced around. And the answer to today's random Indian of the day is, are you ready? This is going to kill me. Chris Magruder. Ah, my guy. I think that's the one random jersey I've not seen ever that, like, like that's the white whale. Oh, I, I would – whoever is wearing it, I would buy it right off. Did he wear – he wore a weird number, didn't he? Was it, it was 11? Like 30. No. I would have to look yeah, it up. Yeah, 30 sounds right. It, I think it was in the 30s. Why did I think 11? Maybe because he couldn't hit and the guy who wears 11 for the Indians right now can't hit? Matt Watton? Uh, you know what? With the – is that with the Indians too? He – according to his page here, I can't tell if that's with Texas. It might be with Texas he wore it. He did wear 11 at one point in his career. Okay. Uh, Chris Magruder. He was actually yeah. good for a minute though. Like he – I think when he first came up, I don't know. He just had like energy and <laughs> – that season was such a shock to the system. Especially when they started 11-1 and one, and everyone's like, oh, people thought they were going to rebuild, but they're actually still good, even though they have all these new players we don't know. And then reality set in so quickly. and like, uh, But Chris Magruder was like a nice bolt of energy for five minutes. Uh, in 2002, let's see here. As of, ooh, uh, as of June 4th, I guess if I go back one day, arbitrary date point. As of June 2nd of that season, he had a 909 OPS. Boom. Cooperstown. It was only in his 11th game. But he had a 909 OPS. And then from that point on, can do, let's see. From the rest of the, the rest of the season for the Indians, he slashed 160, 185, 280. Got to make adjustments. And we'll try to do that next week when we're back. We'll hopefully be better than we were this week. That's what I strive for. Any parting words? Slow's Barbecue. I'm coming. Ah, I'm so jealous. Is Ryan Lewis making the trip? No, he's avoiding me. Oh, man. No one carries around their food like a football, quite like Ryan Lewis of the Akron Beacon Journal. (laughs) Carrying it around like a trophy. And showing everyone what they could have had if they would have came to lunch early enough.
Oh, well. Until next week, I'll be thinking of slows, and you'll be back here with me for the next Selby's Godcast. We're out of here.